0: Welcome to Success Stories, the podcast where outstanding women share their journey to leadership, the personal habits that have helped them succeed, and the projects they're passionate about. Join me, your host, Catherine Robson, as we redefine what success looks like. Recorded at the Scale Investors Portfolio Day in 2019, this is a very special group interview going behind the scenes to understand the collaboration between entrepreneurs and investors in early stage, high growth potential companies. This discussion is led by Dr. Annabella Correa, the CEO of medical device company Livac. The respect of her lead investor and scale angel Penelope Lane is palpable and together they share the gruelling journey to successfully raise money as a medical device company and the exciting future that they see ahead. Welcome. So tell us a little bit about, now I always get the pronunciation wrong, Livac. Tell us a little bit about the company and where it's at. So Livac is a surgical devices company. Um, It was established by
1: a surgeon in in 2010. So the company focuses on the development of novel products that reduce trauma that's caused during surgery. So a lot of people often when they go in for surgery think about the actual procedure. They don't stop to think that the setup for the procedure can cause just as much trauma to the patient as the procedure itself and that all leads to increased recovery times, increased post-operative pain, um, an increased length of stay, increased costs... So, surgery has moved from open surgery to keyhole surgery to large keyhole surgery, small keyhole surgery, and now robotic surgery. So, LEVAC really focuses on developing products that reduce the trauma caused during surgery, but that also complements all of the existing and new surgery techniques.
0: So, in terms of where your products are at, um, it's, it's more than an idea. You've got, you know, tell us a bit about how well advanced some of your applications are. Yeah, we're in market. So we have sales, early sales established
1: in Australia and Europe. And yeah, we're working on expanding beyond that. So I guess the technology has been in development since 2010, like I said, but it's really only been in the last two years that we've been able to launch or release the product into the market.
2: And importantly, um, it has all its regulatory requirements in all the major markets, which takes a significant time to achieve, uh, with numerous medical testing required in different regions. So that's been achieved, which is um, more than a two to three year process in some cases.
0: So Penelope, you're a very experienced investor. What was it that attracted you to Livac compared to all of the other things that you could invest in.
2: Medical devices is my portfolio, it's also my career uh, and um, I see a lot of businesses come across my desk um, having worked in investment for this sector, in uh, government, um, also at amazing places like the University of Melbourne where there's numerous ideas on a daily basis. This is a product that is truly innovative. It uh, disrupts a market that hasn't had to change for a significant amount of time. Uh, and we're talking 100 plus years, really. Uh, the retraction of the liver has been the same since surgery really started. Uh, and uh, in addition to that, it fits into the future of the direction um, that surgery is going in. So that minimally invasive. Uh, market uh, is, is the future of medicine uh, and you need products that are adaptable to that future and this is one of those devices. Something else I or, or also look for is patient outcomes and this improves patient outcomes without a doubt.
0: You mentioned Penelope just how extended the regulatory time frame for approval can be um, and you need money to be able to build something um, that Uh, has the sort of efficacy that you want, but also meets all of the standards in all sorts of different markets. So that leads you to capital raising. What has that experience been like for Livac?
2: Really, really hard. Uh, There is, uh, I'm going to let Annabella talk to this because she's done most of the hard work, but... Medical devices are very hard to raise for, particularly in the Australian market. And why is that? I think the investment market for medical devices and pharmaceuticals here uh, is immature. Uh, A lot of people perceive a lot of risk. They don't understand uh, the market and the approach to it because it is so idiosyncratic. uh, And so, therefore, a lot of people don't invest. In addition, people perceive medical devices to be similar to pharmaceuticals, you know, an eight-year pathway to market before you're actually even in the market. Medical devices are quite different. Uh, They have a faster pathway to market uh, and so they're a better angel investment in my opinion but it is tough to raise here it does impact the staff and it certainly has impacted the amazing ceo who i'm sitting with um, she has basically continually raised throughout the life of the company uh, and so that's basically doing two jobs at once annabella uh, who's lived the experience have you got something to add
1: so with reg um I think it pays to have multiple strategies run... So we say reg, so regulatory, regulatory yeah. sorry. Um, so with our regulatory strategy, we approached both the TG... We ran a strategy in parallel for Australia and Europe because we knew that they would be the first markets that we entered and the easiest, so the lowest barriers to market from a regulatory perspective. We ran a strategy in parallel with the TGA and SGS, which is um, a different body overseas. So TGA is in, in Australia. Australia. Oh, in Australia, Therapeutic Goods Administration. Yep. Yep. And then we ran um, a strategy in parallel with um, a group called SGS, which is a private group um, that we lodged our application with in parallel. We were expecting the TGA to process quite, to progress our application quite slowly. Um, we were expecting several months possibly a year before they approved us. Um, fortunately for us it happened quite quickly so it happened within less than four months and then um, the SGS which was the group that we thought would progress us a lot faster because they were private and more expensive um, started dragging their heels so what we were able to do with that with our approach was to then use the TGA to issue our EC certificate as well so we were able to then we we then had regulatory approval essentially to market our product in Australia and Europe and territories that recognize the EC certificate so that means that we're able to also now look at Asian countries because a lot of them rely on an EC certificate the pain I think that Penelope is more referring to is the US so we uh, experienced multiple barriers to market the main one was obviously so the with the with the US, we needed a 510k submission and approval of our 510k documentation. Um, that process alone took two years just to collate all the information that they needed that we needed to
0: submit. And is that was that from studies that you were collecting information? Clinical from? evidence,
1: manufacturing data, material composition data, all of the associated testing, sterilization data, everything that's required to go into the product, and then how it's used uh, in humans and all of our animal studies as well. Um, so we essentially our dossier was made up of over 90 documents, and each of those documents range from probably 10 pages to hundreds of pages. So that was, we actually, um, so that's quite an involved process. Um, We had to engage or we worked with a group in the US that helped us through um, our engagement with the FDA. So they reviewed all of our dossier before it was submitted. They provided some of their own commentary uh, and uh, we made those adjustments and then they went back to the FDA. We were issued a 510k certificate or approval of our dossier um, in October 2016 and I remember the date (laughs) Uh, and we're still now it wasn't until now this year so a month or so ago that we're actually able to launch in the US so there are a few um, barriers that we weren't aware of at the time we were told or our advisors told us that we could rely on our legal manufacturer and their FDA uh, certificate turned out we couldn't turned out that because we're manufactured outside of the US that we need we needed to work have all of our clinic, critical suppliers registered with the FDA so we use gamma sterilization in Australia to sterilize our product it's the fastest way to sterilize a low volume early product there's no gamma facility that's registered in Australia with the FDA so we've spent the last 2 years reworking all of our sterilization and packaging so that our critical suppliers, who are now registered with the FDA, <laughs> um, now make up our new product, which we call the US product, and we're able to release that into the market now.
0: <laughs> so, Penelope, you mentioned that that you know fundraising has almost been a constant part of business operations in technology uh, startups. The sort of philosophy is raise as much as you can as fast as you can with is it different with medical instrumentation that um you do it progressively or is it just raising you know as you can find investor support
2: Well, really, it's iterative. Um, And we started with, um, you know, a founder who's um, got significant interest in the company. So uh, we don't want to go in for massive dilution. And there's just not the significant money out there at an early stage for pharmaceuticals and medical devices. It's slowly changing as the investment market matures here. Um, But uh, there's just not the significant funds um, for this sector. And it, it is not unique to LEVAC to actually be experiencing this. It is quite normal. And, in fact, LEVAC's done extremely well to get to this point. Uh, most companies uh, really do go offshore very early and the IP is sold. Uh, and we've got a history of doing that in this sector in Australia and that needs to change and it's slowly changing with the support of groups like SCALE. <laughs>
0: And in terms of um, the due diligence process, how's um, that different for a company like Levac? In terms of being in a situation where you're the CEO of a company like Levac, and you've got all sorts of different investors running the ruler over your company, presumably the due diligence process is something that's um, also quite time consuming for you you know, as a CEO, how have you found that process and is there anything that that you would do differently in the future? So I've structured the company for sale from the very start and I've also worked in venture capital. So I
1: know what it's like to sit both on the sell side and the buy side. So the company is essentially built for due diligence and for sale. Um, We can populate quite a detailed data room in less than half a day, usually in an hour or two, um, depending on the list. Um, and I've seen some quite long lists. So we do structure it in that way so that the information's readily available and it also means the company's being run efficiently. Everybody knows exactly where everything is and it means that we, all, we have quite strong um, filing policies and um, just because we need to be able to access key data at any point in time, not just for due diligence but also for operations
0: one of the things that you touched on um you know was valuation and dilution but you know particularly where you've got um a founder still involved with a large equity position how difficult was it as you've gone through the fundraising process to to strike valuations that um everyone feels comfortable with
2: i think it's probably been a journey to be fair um We've uh, undertaken you know, a thorough assessment across um, the knowledge base at, in the board level. We've also had um, outside assessments done. Um, and then we've also uh, readjusted those external assessments. Um, so I think it's a constant process of navigation, uh, the valuation of an early stage company, uh, much unlike most industries. Uh, and, uh, and that changes. Uh, the, the milestones in this industry are different, uh, the regulatory approval being one of the significant ones that's different to other industries that changes the valuation. The
1: clini- end of clinical trials
2: is another. What else would you add to that, Annabella?
1: So we run our own model in-house. So we constantly are checking in with our valuation model. So we have our own um, discounted cash flow and MPV model that we work to. So quite often when we need to make a new decision, like a significant investment decision, we actually run it through the model as well. So we understand the impact on the business, um, the business outcomes, the valuation, we understand it integrally um,
0: within the business. And so there's some things you might choose not to do because it has a negative long-term impact on valuation. Is that Depends on the strategy to the company, like how important it is strategically to
1: the business. So we might look at we might look at moving out our break-even forecast by six or 12 months if it means that we can get an increase in valuation. But that, what that means by having a live model is we're constantly looking at bottom-up and top-down. So we, um, I had an investor recently ask me for a um, – and he wasn't expecting a response – but he said, I want an analysis of all the companies in your space that are publicly listed anywhere in the world. Um, at a similar stage of development. We sent him five spreadsheets in 10 minutes. So (laughs) we're we're well aware of where we sit within the market and and that's a lot of um, also understanding or preparing for discussions with investors because you're on the other side quite often, depending on the investor. I think angel investor groups are more understanding of businesses like Levac, Um, but I know what it's like to sit on the other side of the table from high net worth or venture capital investors that it's really their first job is to argue your valuation and to to work to push that down so to be prepared for that very early from both from every possible angle helps discussions a lot and it's essentially that's that's how we work to it so it's
0: is it hard to stay calm and focused and not get frustrated because I can imagine It can feel like you're in Groundhog Day, you know, just having similar conversations again and again and again with different parties. Is it... Well, what's that experience like for you as a CEO and, uh, you know, how do you do it well? I'm assuming I do it well then.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You do. Um, It is very frustrating. There's no doubt about it and I think Groundhog Day is not a bad description.
1: I try to see it more from the investor's side. So, I because I've sat on the buy side, I I understand where investors are coming from. So, really, a lot of the time they're looking to understand the business. And I think you have to really look at it from a much higher perspective and understand that investors are not just looking at our company. They're looking at multiple opportunities, multiple companies. And from the time that I was working in investment, I mean, our number one rule was invest in the people first. And I think that's... One of the triggers I think or one of the main reasons for Livac's success now is we have an incredible team and we achieve our milestones and if that's something that's important to an investor then I'm pretty confident talking to that.
2: <laughs> and I- If I might add to that, I think what's really important to remember is that these medical devices uh, impact lives and they change health outcomes. And that's the reason Annabella and I are committed to this industry and, you know, what what keeps us getting out of bed on those frustrating days. Um, And it is not an easy industry to commercialise in. Uh, It takes a lot of experience, a lot of tenacity and absolute determination not to give up. Annabella, we're very fortunate as uh, a CEO, has got all of those skills. Uh, is very experienced and uh, and uh, absolutely able to continue uh, steadily to put one well versed high heel in front of the other uh, as she drives the company forward, even on the most frustrating of days.
0: And Annabelle, what made you move from being, as you say, on the buy side? So going from looking at multiple investments to having an operational CEO role
1: so for me it was um, from sitting on the buy side I realized there was a gap in the market especially in the healthcare market for true management experience so it was wanting to get in and actually make a difference from the ground up
0: and what advice do you have for other entrepreneurs so you know you've had extensive experience both you know seeing people pitching to you when you were working in BC and you know now you've worked alongside a founder and you know commercialized a successful device what is your um yeah the lessons you've learned that you'd pass on to others
1: I think it's a little bit of what Penelope just said before I think you have to love what you do like this this industry is not for the faint-hearted I think that it's I, I often use the term roller coaster. <laughs> Um, and you need to be able to go with it and you need to constantly um, stay focused on the big picture. Don't don't get swayed by the little bits and pieces that cross your desk on a daily basis. Like, really set a clear strategic target and surround yourself with an, an incredible team. So a, a very supportive board and a great team in-house, I think, goes a long way.
0: And for you, Penelope, in terms of advice for... People thinking that they want to be early stage investors. What's your advice to them?
2: I think um, it pays to uh, really know what it is that you want um, out of your investment experience. Is it a financial return? Is it about mentoring? Is it about um networking. Uh, What is the experience that you want out of your investing? Because if it's just financial return, there are far easier ways to go about it than uh, more mentoring oriented groups um, such as scale. Um, For me, um, it was a portfolio of products that I'm interested in, so I invest primarily in my industry, uh, but also um, to learn and engage with other experienced investors and grow my uh, network. I'm also very passionate about mentoring in my field. Uh, so for me, this is the right fit, um, but know what it is you want out of your experience uh, and then seek a group that's al- or a process that's aligned to that.
0: And do you have an ideal number of investments that, that you would say to people if you want to have a portfolio, this is the ideal minimum number of investments you should aim to make?
2: I think it really does come down to what time you have to devote to the attention of that portfolio. Um, So, um, I know uh, my cousin Thomas, who's recently become a scale uh, angel, he has a large portfolio um, of stocks uh, and he's interested in building quite a substantial portfolio in angel investments. However, he is doing this full time uh, and he does a huge amount of research uh, and uh, a lot of thought goes into all of his investments. So you do need to pay attention to your portfolio, uh, portfolio. you need to give it its time. For me, uh, doing this as uh, one of my many hats, um, my maximum is around 10 Uh, angel investments, that is.
0: And it seems like in this space, time is almost the most limited resource. I mean, raising money is difficult, but it just seems like good people, there's more demands on their time. So for you, Annabella, how do you manage to fit it all in? And are there things that help you be more productive? I'm
1: constantly reinventing systems, time management. So as soon as I have a system that's up and running, I have to tweak and change it. So (laughs) that's one
0: thing that somehow works for me. And is there a system you use that that someone else could go out and implement, or is it very tailored to you as a person?
1: So anyone could use my current system, which is at the end of every night, every night or every day, I literally write out my to-do list the next day. But I don't do it as a to-do list. I do it as MITS, which is most important tasks. So and then I do so I separate my page most important tasks, five minutes and ten minute tasks. So quite often I... And so you I, do that on a piece of paper? Piece of paper or in a little notebook. But not on a spreadsheet? It's not like no, some sort no. of... No, no. I find that it helps a lot to write it down. It helps more to write it down. And a lot of it too is just not wanting to take it to bed with me. I just need to get it out. Um, and then I start the day focused on the most important tasks because quite often you see people's to-do list and they get to the end of the day, they spent their whole day on small tasks that don't matter, that can actually wait a week or two. So it's about getting rid of the most
0: difficult thing that you need to do first and is there a maximum number of most important tasks that you have on your list so because I can imagine you start to write your most important tasks and there's like 19 of them and then they it's just like a to-do list again so do you try and limit yourself no so I what I've had to
1: appreciate and understand is that my most important tasks as much as I'd like to get them all done in one day that it often takes a week So it takes longer to get them done and the list keeps going. Um, But it's at least I know I'm working on the most important things for the business.
0: So most important tasks and then are there other, did you say there were other things? Yeah,
1: so it's things like, like anything that you can move on in five minutes, like a phone call or a quick check in with somebody. Um, So those sorts of things. And then also it means when people come to me with quick questions, they say, park it till four. So actually, that's the other thing that people may or may not find helpful is I do my work first, so I don't meet with anybody in the team before one or two o'clock in the afternoon. So I, it do means you come to the office
0: or do you stay remotely until a certain time?
1: I it depends. So if everybody starts to get a bit too comfortable and <laughs> interrupts, then I stay at home. Um, but I wouldn't do that more than one one day a week because I think it's important to be there. Um, but it's it. What I found that is if I was making myself available to everybody during the day to start with I'd get to eight o'clock at night and I still hadn't done so I'd be starting my day on the most important thing that I needed to do the most challenging thing at eight or nine o'clock at night when most of the people that I need to access are not available
0: so everybody now
1: understands that that happens first.
0: And was that a difficult cultural adjustment for people that that you weren't available on tap all the time?
1: I think it's helped to empower them like I think that they, I think giving them some time to work things through themselves um, is important for them as well because it means sometimes they keep, people can get a bit comfortable with asking questions. It means they're not thinking through the process. So giving them that time <laughs> means that they need to either park it themselves and come go and find the answer later on or try and work through it.
0: And so park it till four is you'll be working through your most important tasks from whenever you start work till, say, one o'clock. And then is it sort of like open hours after four o'clock for people to come and ask you questions? I usually have
1: meetings scheduled. Yeah, okay. And then the other, I guess I could talk
0: tips on this all day. Oh,
1: this (laughs) is just
0: gold. Because I mean, I don't think there's anyone that you talk to that says, oh, I just don't know what to do with my time. Like most of us feel like... There's more things to do than we have time. I think one-hour meetings, cutting them down to half an hour as well. I think you can actually yeah, get a lot done.
1: Oh, it doesn't matter, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah, and even less. So I think if you reduce the amount of time that you schedule for a meeting, you'll get every – again, the meeting becomes more focused. You focus on the most important things for the meeting and you're done. You're often done before the half an hour is up and then you can usually then probably use that five or ten-minute space to go to the five or ten-minute tasks that are written down.
0: What about being able to um, concentrate on all of the things that you do during the day? Do you find it hard to switch your attention between, you know, because as Penelope said, you've literally got two roles, you you know, you're a constant um, fundraiser, but then you're also an operational um, CEO. How do you find that toggling? I love it so I think I'm built for that So
2: <laughs> We're very similar in that regard We love it, we love how Busy we are and you have to be the sort of Person that does thrive uh, On that kind of high pressure Environment um, I know that Annabella Wears multiple hats As do I um, And yeah, in a sense There's a buzz that comes from The way we work and the pressure that we Choose to put ourselves under um, You have to you have to be the sort of person that can do that consistently long term Um, and I also think um, science and medical training or technical training gives your brain the ability to switch very quickly deal with uh, we both deal with um, you know we've got empathy and we have You know, caring souls, but we have the ability to think very analytically and unemotionally um, under immense pressure, and that's really important.
0: And for you, Penelope, are there things that you could point to that help you be productive and achieve all of the things that you do with a big portfolio of responsibilities?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I use similar time management structures to Annabella. However, the other thing I think about um, from a big picture perspective is uh, what I say no to. Uh, and uh, and that is really important with the multiple approaches that you get uh, in particularly in a sector where there's ex- expertise is light. Uh, and so from that perspective, I make sure that what I'm saying yes to has synergy with everything else and all of my personal objectives, and if it doesn't. Um, I'll turn it down, even if it's really exciting or might be something I want to do. If it's not synergistic with everything else, uh, it will clash with my timeframes. So I know that when I go to a function, I can do and talk to people in regards to my executive position, my board position uh, and also my company's position and uh, achieve uh, steps forward for those things in the same meeting or in the same function with the same people, and that, that exponentially makes an impact on my time and ability to do many things.
0: When you both look forward, what are the things that you're really optimistic and excited about? Excitingly, thank <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone (laughs) wants that moment. Um, So on that, I mean, what does that, as you said, you built the company, you structured the company from day one for an exit. What's the ideal exit for you when you, you know, lie in bed after you've written your most important task for tomorrow, you know, you fantasise about, you know, the best possible scenario?
1: So the best exit would have happened years ago. <laughs> I think it takes a lot longer than what anybody, than what you plan it to. So it's understanding that the exit will take time to structure and execute properly. Um, the best exit will be a strategic partner that is is aligned to our motivations in the healthcare space that wants to see better patient outcomes and genuinely you're essentially looking for a new parent for the technology or for the portfolio of technologies that will... Um, give it the true opportunity with with much more significant resources than we could ever raise or or have ourselves, so that it can really reach its full potential in the market.
0: And so, presumably, one of the benefits of having been in this constant fundraising cycle is that you're constantly talking to people who could be strategic partners and strategic purchasers into the future. Is that is that right? And and you presumably it's right from you know insurers all the way through to sort of hospital um, providers to pharmaceutical companies, you know, all of those would be on the radar.
1: Medical device
0: companies. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And Penelope, what about you in terms of things that you're excited and optimistic about?
2: Oh, look, I've always been optimistic about um, the IP that comes out of Australia, uh, particularly in this field. From a population perspective, we bag we but way above average uh, and w- what we are starting to see is a growth in the commercialisation skill sets across the ecosystem to support that um, pipeline of IP to stay here and to grow into companies here and to create jobs and education for people here. Um, I went to the US like many people um, my age in this field um, in my early 40s and I had to go to the US to get the sort of experience um, that I, I now have. That is changing, albeit slowly, um, but there are really good indications now that um, there is support for commercialisation careers here, uh, and Annabella is actually proof of that. So um, it's not easy, um, but I'm optimistic that that is changing, and uh, what you see growing up and around the Parkville precinct in Victoria is a good example of, of that.
0: Well, you're a formidable pair, and um, it, it sort of uh, it seems to me like it's testament to Angel investing at its best, you know, in terms of it being beneficial um, and um, it's, you know, something obviously I'd like to see more of. So well done and hopefully we see that big exit in the paper before long.
2: I have no doubt that you will. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks,
0: Thanks so Catherine. Much. Every week I find a nugget of gold in each discussion. Something I want to take away and implement in my own life. If you feel the same, I'd love to know how my guests touch your lives. You can leave a review on iTunes or get in touch on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thanks to the awesome Buffy Gorilla for production, Alicia Piper for her fantastic writing, and to Broke Free, who wrote and performed our theme music. See you next week.